HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, this is Marion Nessel. I'm the Paulette Goddard Professor of Nutrition, Food Studies, and Public Health at New York University and a longtime fan of Heritage Radio. Like Marion, you too can support Heritage Radio Network, a member-based nonprofit radio station operating out of Bushwick, Brooklyn. I've been on it countless times. I love being interviewed. The interviewers are always really well prepared and fun to talk to about the issues that matter to me the most, uh, about how we can change our food system to one that's healthier for people and the environment. It's just invaluable to have an independent radio station that's dealing with these issues. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful asset. Support Heritage Radio Network by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Today's program has been brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. For more information, visit www.rt11.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, Farm Report listeners. We have a special treat in store for you this week. What follows is a special recording I did on Monday morning with Dinah Trout, the founder of Health Aid Kombucha. Uh, in this interview, we talk with Dinah about the founding of the company, the history of kombucha, and what it means for consumers going forward. I hope you enjoy the show. All right. Thank you, David, in the engineer booth for those smooth sounds to kick us off. You, of course, are listening to the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you, as always, from the back of Roberta's Pizza here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is the AM, and we are starting things off right with a tasting flight of kombucha. And here to take us through the flight and the story of kombucha and her story is HealthAid founder, Dinah Trout. Dinah, welcome to the studio. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Um, Well, I am really excited to learn more about you and to kind of Get some of my burning kombucha questions answered. (laughs) Um, You know, we first connected, you were one of the sponsors of the Cherry Bomb Jubilee 
back in the spring. And I, along with our entire HR team, are somewhat obsessive healthy kombucha drinkers. Nice. Um, it's not typical Welcome. Yeah, for me <laughs> to um, post on social media about my beverage choices, but I definitely remember my first health aid. It was magical. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I'm wondering, do you remember your first kombucha? Yes. Great question. I've never been asked that before. Yes. Um, Starting out right. <laughs> yeah, I do remember my first kombucha. It was probably... 2007 and I had a GT Synergy kombucha. I had like the cosmic cranberry flavor, I think. And it was in Boston. I was in graduate school and I immediately fell in love. Why did you pick it up off the shelf? Were you in the habit of, I mean, the 2007, I think people, it's like a little hard to remember in the same way. It's like hard to imagine a world before you know, Instagram, like it's hard to me to imagine a world before you went to the beverage section mm-hmm. and there was more than like Pepsi and Coke and the like whole selection of beverages that we enjoy today. It's a relatively new phenomena. Yeah, it was for sure a new phenomenon. It was definitely in a natural food store. Um, but I, I was in school for nutrition at the time. I was in graduate school and I was really falling in love with fermented foods And I'd learned a lot about kombucha. And then I remember just looking at the shelf, seeing a kombucha there. And I was like, oh, this is what I was reading about. And so I bought one. So you bought one and you were hooked. And I was hooked. Yes. Because of the taste or the feeling or what you had read and thought it was doing or. Certainly. No, not the reading part. I think um, I think I just liked the taste at first. It was certainly kind of like, what is this? This is interesting. Almost like the first time you tried beer, you weren't like totally sure. Right. Um, but then yeah, it made me feel a little bit like light and I really enjoyed drinking it. And I found myself like immediately craving one the next day and then the day after that. So it was, it wasn't a week before I learned how to make it. Okay. So, um, I want to come back to that part, but before we get there, you have a background in health and nutrition. You have your MPH. Is that right? I have an MS and and an MPH. I have both. She's got two. I was bored in school. No, No, really. I I actually started doing like a lot of, um, academia research. And then I realized that the labs, um, weren't a place for me. So then I went and did my MPH. So you obviously weren't, you know, a young girl growing up, um, dreaming of launching a kombucha company. What did you think you were going to do? You know, I really, I think that's why I went to school for so long. I really didn't know. (laughs) And, um, I knew that I loved food real food. I love to cook. Um, I love to ferment foods. I love the art of it all. I knew that. And I think I was going, when I went for nutrition, I was kind of going in that right direction. But it wasn't until 2011 that I really felt like it was time for me to do something. So I would say what really drove me to start Health Aid was just um, this sort of drive I had within to make my own mark on the world. Yeah, you want to do your own thing. Do my own thing. I have to say nutrition programs in the U.S. are not known for being particularly um, progressive. I remember being in college and feeling like, man, maybe I should be like eating different and going to sit down with a nutritionist through the school program. And it was this very um, thin, timid woman who put a array of plastic foods on the table and kind of like took me through what a serving size was. And I was like, man, this is just like not... What, what I thought it would mind. be. Was your education different than that? Did you, you bring other stuff <laughs> into it? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely uh, was different from most of the nutritionists. Although 
um, it's important to distinguish. There are different forms of nutrition in study, and one is called dietetics, mm -hmm. and that's usually like what a clinical nutritionist would go through, and they're very focused on things like portion sizes, calories, you know, the grams of sugar. Um, then there are other fields of nutrition, like agriculture, where you learn about like the politics of it all internationally, how you can make an impact. I was in human nutrition, so I was studying like the actual chemical and biochemical makeup of the food and what Smarty the impact pants. is. <laughs> I'm inured. Um, which is why I think I love fermented food so much, but I generally always had a holistic approach to nutrition and definitely that differentiated me in school. I wasn't the only one like that though. Um, and graduate school, I think, is a little bit different. It's a little more inviting to the progressive folks. So yeah. I wasn't totally alone. So you moved from the East Coast to the West Coast because... Honestly, the food and the weather. All right. And you guys are based <laughs> now in Southern California. Yep. We're in LA. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, what did you, what did, what was your first kind of job when you hit up? I mean, you weren't making kombucha yet. No, so. no I mean, I was making it for myself at home, at home, um, in my closet okay, and a slightly smaller amount than you currently slightly produce. smaller, although the same vessel. Really? Yes. It's a cookie jar from bed, bath and beyond. Stop. We, yes. <laughs> I wish I had it with me here because it's pretty amazing, but no, we are building our current brewery right now and we'll have well over 150,000 of these jars. So um, we'll get to that in a second. But the question was about Los Angeles, and I forget the question already. Yeah, what, what were you doing out there? Right. So I actually, and it's kind of, I, I mean, I don't know if it's ironic, but I was always a holistic nutritionist, and I never really was super into medicine, unless, of course, it was necessary. I was the kind of person that wouldn't take an Advil. Yeah, unless, me too. Like, you know? Um, I came to LA and I was recruited to work for a pharmaceutical company. Okay. And because they had just taken on an omega-3 prescription drug and I had done a lot of research on omega-3s and the impact on um, cardiovascular health. So um, they br brought me on, uh, I guess, as an expert in the field to help educate and train the sales reps. So that's what I did for five years. And you were out there... Uh, were you, because I mean, you started the company with your husband and with your best, best friend. friend, were you guys all just like chilling? What were they doing? Okay. So yeah, we were chilling just like, in, <laughs> you're you know, like you do in, in LA. General, I mean, you know? that's like, I'm a New Yorker. So my impression is you guys just like hang out and drink kombucha. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's totally, the, that's exactly right. <laughs> Looking beautiful. Things just like happen to us. <laughs> Magic. Um, <laughs> I woke up like this, exactly. you know, um, no, uh, so what's really cool is Vanessa and I, and we always say that a health aid, there is like something watching over us because it has just been, there's been so much hard work, but also a lot of luck. And one of the things I would consider lucky is that my very first day on the job at this pharmaceutical company, I was partnered with who else but Vanessa. We immediately became best friends. Um, and, you know, of course we started a business together five years later. Justin was a musician. And he still is, of course. I don't think you ever stop doing that. Um, really special musician, incredibly um, good at the guitar, but was also working on the side um, doing marketing for a hair loss company, which is actually how we ended up getting to Health Aid. All right. Right. I know. I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm intrigued. Like, you, I'm like, draw me some clear lines. I'm not quite there. <laughs> so we often say the story of Health Aid is from hair loss to Health Aid. So. Um, what happened was I was, you know, I'd mentioned before in 2011, I was feeling unfulfilled, uh, like there was some kind of mark I wanted to make and it was actually getting a little bit like 
depressing. I think I had pushed away this voice for some time and it just kept getting louder. And there was a point where I couldn't do anything but turn up the volume. And I shared with Vanessa and Justin, my two closest friends, that I was experiencing this. And they, um, I was surprised to hear that they were feeling the same way. And so we started an entrepreneur club. And nobody else showed up, <laughs> even though we invited people. I mean, maybe it had to do with the fact that we were holding the meetings in Justin's Honda Civic. All right. Um, I'm like, was there snacks? <laughs> there was kombucha. All right. Because I had lots of kombucha. So we would sip on the kombucha. We had like 600 bucks each to put toward this thing. Uh-huh. And we you know, pondered what this big and cheap idea could be. Okay. So the, the, the hair loss part, the goal of the meeting was to kind of get together. We have some cash. We have some snacks. We're going to start a business We're together. Start a, can I guess yeah. on the show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A motherfucking company. All right. That was what we were going to start. And, um, we came up with all kinds of interesting ideas and they weren't even necessarily related to food. Of uh-huh. course, those were more the ones I was passionate about, but Vanessa and Justin were different. Um, so Justin, I had mentioned was working for this company And he was very surprised to learn how far people would go to protect their hair, Mm -hmm. that asset. And he he was selling like a tap-on hair product, so it wasn't even something that actually fixed hair loss at the root. Um, And yet people were just sending in money, like in quarters, pennies, whatever they could get um, in order to get Appeal to our vanity, we will show up. (laughs) So he was like, guys, guys, if we can find an alternative way to regrow hair, this is it. And so Vanessa, Justin, and I started researching what will, what could grow hair. And one of the first things we found in our research was the kombucha scoby. So the culture that's used to make kombucha Uh is used in parts of Tibet and other parts of the world as like a hair mask. It's mixed with like avocados or whatever. And you put it on your head where you're losing your hair. And apparently you're supposed to like preserve the hair that's there. Or maybe even regrow some. Get out. So Justin was also... Uh, personally motivated because he was on his last hurrah, according to his hairdresser. And now since has not lost any hair, so who knows? That could be a business <laughs> opportunity. Still waiting in the wings. <laughs> but we started, and I'm like, I know how to make these scobies. So I started making kombucha. Sorry, making kombucha and tweaking the recipe ever so slightly each week to get a really strong, healthy scoby. Uh-huh. And what happened is the more I tweaked it to get a stronger, whiter, thicker scoby, the more we found that the kombucha started to taste downright really good. Yeah. And in fact, there was a point where we all sipped on it and said, this is the best kombucha we've ever had. Way better than what's on the shelf. And like, we're going to make so many men happy when we save their hair with this. (laughs) And we had so much kombucha. Yeah. I mean, I mean, then it felt like so much 16 or 17 jars worth. It's a lot for, you know, a a group of, yeah, I mean, for three of us, there is a limit to my kombucha consumption. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And me too. Um, and so Vanessa called it, you know, we had all this kombucha. It tasted really good. And there was, it was, it was almost the summer. It was March. And she said, let's just sell this in the farmer's market and figure it out. And so two weeks later, we, we named everything in the weekend. We made the label, the anchor, everything in the weekend, even our tagline, follow your gut happened then. Although I didn't even know how much it would mean moving forward. Then it was really just about probiotics and kind of like follow your gut to kombucha. But now it's way bigger than that. Um, started in the farmer's market two weeks later, sold out in an hour. Wow. And I remember being like, wait, did we just, all right, let's see how it happens next week. Right. And then a week later when we showed up to set up, there was a line 20, 25 deep already before the market opened. And that's when we realized we had something. And so from that day, 
moving forward, we just always committed to making real kombucha because that's what makes us different. Um, and, uh, you know, we committed ourselves to being the best, the best and best, highest quality and best tasting. So this is in 2012, 2012, March of 2012. All right. So in four years, you guys have outgrown the farmer's market. We have outgrown the farmer's market. We are still there though. Yeah. Yes. That original space. And then also in Larchmont in LA, but yeah, no, we've outgrown it. We're in 42 States, 5,000 stores. I just hired my 50th employee, which is really cool because I'll be checking a different box on the IRS I was going to say that. Like, that's a big move for <laughs> a small a big, business. You're a going into move. a new category. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. We're building a, a, a 50,000 square foot brewery. I'm very proud. I'm very proud. It is definitely a real business now. And of course, we're in New York. Brooklyn is um, our number one or soon to be our number one city. No surprises. Brooklyn number so one. So <laughs> we got a lot of Brooklyn people that like health aid. I love that. And I love Brooklyn. So, um, well, okay, awesome. So for so that's hair loss to yeah, health aid. That's hair, hair loss to health aid. Um, I had no idea. Um, I want to talk a little bit about because you said we make real kombucha. So I feel like my my first kombucha. Um, I cannot remember the brand name. It was like these stout little bottles. They had like pear and original and um, high country. Mm, was it brown? It was brown. Yeah. Um, but I remember being told that kombucha was like an ancient Chinese drink that was originated by creating a fermentation culture from some type of small bug. Hmm. Um, I've since, in my internet research, not been able to replicate that story. So I feel like maybe someone was like feeding me a line of... The bug part. Yeah, the bug part. <laughs> so when you say real kombucha, what does that mean for you guys? Yeah, I mean, just how you would make it at home. Yeah. That, unfortunately, the way the food world is right now, and hopefully it will change, and I think it is changing, um, things when they become mass-produced, uh, they just compromise quality. It becomes really distant from the original intent of the food itself. And we all know this, but I don't think people in general really understand how bad it's gotten <clears throat> and how hard you really have to push as a company out there trying to make it real, how big of a deal it really is. Yeah. Um, so, so it's really just how you would make it at home. What Glass does, jars, yeah. small batches. We don't add anything to the kombucha. We let it ferment on its own. I don't externally add any probiotics. It just, we let the culture dictate the culture of the brew. Um, so... We think the brew will be ready on Monday. It may not be ready on Monday because it didn't feel like fermenting. Maybe it'll wait till Tuesday. And that's part of our process. Flavoring with things like cold-pressed juice. We cold-press it all in-house. I mean, basically, like, you would be making kombucha from home if you're, like, a person that cares about premium food. You'd right. make all this stuff at home. Right. We just do that in a commercial kitchen. And you keep it in, a, in small batches is, like, kind of the key, right? It's huge. So the vessel you use to ferment your kombucha in, I think, is one of the most important decisions. Because it is in that phase of fermentation. It's called primary fermentation. It's in this phase of fermentation that the kombucha is super active. So this is where it's eating the sugar and the, the, the culture is eating the sugar and in exchange um, infusing, in a sense, the tea with all of its probiotics and acids, um, which ultimately turns sweet tea into kombucha. So you start with sugar in kombucha, but you end with very little sugar. Um, so this process is very active. If I were to put a peach in there during this process, the next day it would be a pit. So it eats everything around it. Most of the brewers out there are using plastic at this stage. And they bottle it in as, glass. As they, they brew it in a plastic vessel. Right. Got it. Plastic or steel. And in my 
in my experience, um, well, certainly plastic I never played around with, but I did play around with stainless steel, and I think it's certainly better than plastic to use stainless steel, but even steel over time, would you would have some erosion uh, along the bottom. What's interesting is kombucha is very acidic, so it is different than beer in that way. Um, it's more like vinegar in that way, and if you go to like Italy where they make balsamic vinegar and Modena, they do all glass. And so I did a lot of research on this in the beginning and learned that glass is certainly the most inert vessel to use. Um, and so you just want to put it in the most active stage with something it won't interact with. So we use glass. And that was always our thing from the beginning. And using glass, you can't be using like 100-gallon, 100 100,000-gallon, 100, or anything in between vats, right? I mean, how do you even get a glass vessel like that? So we started with a cookie jar from Bed Bath & Beyond, and that's what we still use. We don't buy from Bed Bath & Beyond, though, <laughs> anymore. <laughs> but we did in the beginning. Yeah. We drove all around town to get just like, all the jars. You just like bought up all the jars in town. Yeah. They were like, what's up with these cookie jars? They're like in such high demand suddenly. And then we just totally dropped because we got it directly from the source. From the source. So um, you guys recently went through uh, a round of fundraising. Mm-hmm. And um, can you talk a little bit about um, how... How that like went for you guys? Was there pressure as you're, you know, putting together your deck and you're meeting with people who you're asking for a not insignificant amount of money? Um, was there kind of pushback on the brewing method, um, like comparing you guys to other uh, kombucha companies? Did you have to really like stand up in that space, or were people kind of like, oh yeah, we see the growth of this market and we just are like, you know, were people banging down your doors or were you banging down their doors? So from an investor, good question. So from an investor level, it was always very important to Justin, Vanessa and I that we not even consider talking with people that wanted to change our process. So like for the people that we even, you know, discussed or had discussions with already were like into what we were doing. I will say that most people, especially at this stage, now that we've proved it can work. Right. Um, and we have like efficiency in the brewery. Most people are like, yeah, don't change what you're doing. Cause this is, this working. is working. Um, but there are certainly pressures, not from the investors, I would say, um, definitely from everywhere else. And it has been really difficult to stand up. Like it has been a very, uh, important thing for us to do. And, and it's going to continue to be increasingly important, especially as governmental laws, um, change, you know, we just have to make sure that companies are standing up for real food. Yeah, I mean, and that is a thing a little bit, I think, before you guys launched the company, there was like a big kind of hubble around kombucha around like, is it an alcoholic product? Is it not an alcoholic product? Like, um, essentially, from a regulatory standpoint, I think, how do we like, how do we manage this thing? Like, mm-hmm. how do we categorize it, understand it, make sure it's being produced in a way that um, is safe for, for consumers. Has that conversation evolved satisfactorily? <laughs> uh, that last I'm guessing word no. Is the I'm guessing that- no. I mean, I feel like I knew the answer was no, but I kind of want to, because I, I think this is the thing when we talk about um, consumers understanding what's going on in the food system, there is this balance between um, protecting, promoting, ensuring food safety mm-hmm. and uh, producing real natural food mm-hmm. and um, creating kind of like transparency and accountability in the space. And yep. um, I feel like for a lot of small scale food producers, this becomes a big and unanticipated challenge really quickly. Yes. 
100%. So has it evolved? Yes. Has it been satisfactory? Uh, not really. Um, but I am fully, eternally optimistic and believe that we will win this fight on real food. And you're right, it is a balance. Um, the, you know, foodborne illness and protecting people, you, you mentioned safety, all very important things. Yeah. How you define safety may not be exactly as the laws are defined. Right. So, and, and as you make more real food, so for example, let's just talk probiotics for a second. Probiotics now have been a mass, it's a mass produced industry. You can go to the store and buy a pill of probiotic. Yeah. I got Jamie Lee Curtis on a yogurt cup. cup. I'm like, wow. All right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you've got probiotics everywhere. And today, most of the probiotics are synthesized. They've been taken from their original form, somehow replicated in a Petri dish, put into a pill, and then you eat it. Not necessarily bad, but as a holistic, holistic nutritionist, I think that there's a better way to get your probiotics. Yeah. I would be a bigger fan of getting it from real food, things that are naturally fermented. Even the fermented foods we have on the shelf, you mentioned yogurt. Those are actually not made like they used to be. If you were making yogurt on your shelf, you would put a culture in it, just like kombucha, actually. Yep. Let it sit, ferment, and it's really delicious. My mom definitely made, still makes yogurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, now what they do in the yogurt industry, again, not necessarily bad. They've identified the probiotics that exist in yogurt, a few of them, and they inject them and kind of like create this almost mimicking fermentation, but they can control it a lot better. The the only downside of that is, and I don't necessarily even see it as a downside, I just want also to be able to buy real yogurt right? that's made the way that you would make it at home. Right. And that's how we view kombucha. So, um, so the problem with making, okay, so probiotics in natural form uh-huh. in food always exist around alcohol. Now, could there be a functional reason for this? Perhaps. Perhaps it would be interesting. I mean, a low amount of alcohol is dilating to vessels. Perhaps it increases the availability of these probiotics. I have no idea. I'm not even suggesting that that's the case. But it is an interesting thing to note that in the natural world... It happens. Wherever probiotics exist, so does alcohol. Right. Fine. A low amount of alcohol. Right. So we talked about safety. You know, I think when people are looking to buy a non-alcoholic beverage versus an alcoholic beverage... The defining point or the separating point is, is this going to cause me to be inebriated right. or not? You're like, you're, you're like, you would have to drink how much health aid kombucha to catch a buzz? Right. Like, we, we did the math. I think you'd have to drink six kombuchas in an hour in order, in one hour, if you are less than a hundred pounds. Okay. So I'm going to double that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd have to drink 12 or whatever. Right. Six kombuchas in an hour in order to even begin feeling the initial effects of any kind of alcohol. So not even close to inebriating at that point. Right. Um, I think um, when you put it in those kinds of terms, you realize that the alcohol is, you know, very minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's less than half a percent. It's similar to soy sauce, vinegars, anything fermented. I feel like that's like the other thing. People are like, wait a minute. There's alcohol in a lot of stuff. And a lot of foods that we eat every day and all the time are fermented. So even though I think some of the, like, terminology sounds very new it's all like super old and in our you know cabinets and fridges and has been for a long time yeah but the problem is how things have evolved today like we have so much you know scientific um support and improvement and options that companies because it is still a real food and the reality is it continues to ferment ever so slightly on the shelf 
to stop, you know, essentially to make it like a mass produced item where they just feel it's totally safe to keep on the shelf. Right. They'll pasteurize it. Right. Which kills all probiotics. Right. And then they'll put the probiotics back in. But now you're kind of playing God. Yep. Um, So they do that in an effort to like keep the alcohol exactly always where it is when you mass produce it. But I, I also want to open the conversation to like, okay, Maybe we have this is a live food. Yeah. It is changing a little bit, but in terms of safety, we're nowhere close to a thing that's unsafe. So what if we had a conversation about where kombucha could live? Because I think people do want real fermented foods. Um, and I don't want to go the route of engineering my kombucha. I'm not interested in that. There's plenty of companies doing that. Right. Not your space. Not my space. And I feel like you, I, I don't know. I feel like you really can't, this is a, such a like, from my Zingerman's past, you really can't taste the difference. Um, <laughs> it's like their tagline. Yeah. Um, but I was saying I definitely remembered my first healthy kombucha. I think I got the I got the beet because um, I was like, oh, that's which like I a brought you flavor. To yeah. Um, and it's it just across the board any flavor I've had from you guys, it just tastes brighter, livelier. Um, and like it has like a sparkle to it, um, even if I like occasionally drink other kombuchas, um, I, I find myself like very quickly going. Um, I, I transition to your brand very fast because because it tasted different. I mean, the bottle is beautiful, the logo, all that stuff is great too. But like it just it really tastes different. And you guys are uh, doing some interesting flavor stuff, and you have a new kind of line of flavors. I'm just wondering how, how did you decide? I mean, I don't think you were doing like large scale consumer research and you're like, no, what America wants is beet kombucha. <laughs> I like, I'm no. like, no one, no one was asking for that. No, uh, we picked beet because I'm Lithuanian and Lithuanians love beets. And I just felt like I had to represent. <laughs> so yeah, no, no research at all. The, pretty much the cold press line, which is the original line. We were just like, what sounds good? And where could we get this, the, the, the produce too. Right. Um, and oh, then, interesting. Yeah. yeah. And then you also had to consider, cause we do it all in house. We have like a bunch of juicers. It's pretty cool. When you're in LA, I am definitely coming pay by. a visit. You'll know exactly like when you're 10 feet away from the door, you will know what we're juicing that day. Cause ginger, you actually have to like cover your eyes cause it's like in the air, it like gets in the air. Um, beat, it looks like a murder scene, <laughs> um, <laughs> which I always love. Um, so yeah, I mean, the flavors, it was just, you also have to consider what's going to ferment well with the kombucha. So, like, certain things don't ferment well. We have two flavors coming out. Really exciting ones. Chocolate. What? We will be the first chocolate kombucha. I, first of all, I just, like, love the chocolate kombucha. It also makes really good cocktails when you mix it with hmm. something a little stronger. And then also coffee. Chocolate and coffee. Two different flavors. Why? Yeah. Well... I should actually say the full name. It's chocolate rishi. So our super tea line Ooh. is where we're mixing um, what people might consider a superfood. Although I hate that word because I think all things that come from the ground are superfoods. But you know what I mean when we say superfoods. Things that are kind of exotic out there in the world. We don't really grow it here. Mm-hmm. Has some kind of functional benefit. Right. Um, so that's what the super tea line is. That's the, the new one. Um, so the power greens has wheatgrass, spirulina, and camu camu. Camu camu is coming out as like a new hit superfood. Um, but the chocolate reishi will have reishi mushrooms and sounded like you had heard of them. Yeah. Already. I love it. Uh, we work with, um, 
oh, I'm going to blank on the name of the tea company, but it'll come to me. And that makes it like wonderful, like mushroom teas. Four Sigma. Ah, love yeah. them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we're big fans. So reishi mushrooms have been shown to have like, or people have, have a feel good when they drink it. Um, very unscientifically proven, like kombucha. Uh, <laughs> Trust <laughs> and, your gut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what it is, right? Um, so, and then cacao has also been, you know, when especially when it's not um, complemented with a whole ton of sugar, it's actually really good. So, we use really high quality cacao and reishi, and we flavored it, and it's divine. And then the coffee is actually a cold brew, and we're still looking at who we're going to partner with to cold brew. Um, to add to our kombucha, but it'll be a cold brew matcha. Oh, wow. Yeah. So nice. it'll give you a little kick of caffeine. Yeah. But again, I mean, all of our flavors, we only subtly flavor. It's 90% kombucha and at most 10% juice or flavoring. So um, like the apple, we have to add quite a bit of juice for it to actually even taste like apple, but it's pretty subtle. So. Right. Right. So it's not like it's going to be like coffee in your face. It'll be more like, oh, kombucha with a bit of coffee. Um, so I feel like one of the, the like the New York to LA rep, you know, you do read a lot about, um, like you said, the superfoods, the tinctures, the tonics, the special kind of like health impacts, health things. Um, but it sounds like you guys are kind of just having fun. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. Thank you for reminding me. (laughs) (laughs) No, it totally is. I, first of all, I got to say that like what makes this so fun is the people, of course. Um, though the kombucha is fun and the scobies, we have a good time together. No, the people are what make this so much fun. I've got 50 employees. They are incredible. They all have the entrepreneurial spirit that Justin, Vanessa and I had. And so we like to think of ourselves as a bit scrappy. We don't, um, we're not used to, it's not like any of us came from beverage, maybe with the exception of a few people. Um, so we love it. We're just figuring it out and doing it the way we think is best. So it's not always conventional. It's a lot of fun to do it like that. A lot of creative people on my team. Where do you go to kind of, uh, recharge and get inspired and, and, um, you know, polish up, (laughs) polish up your, uh, your business chops besides Lafayette park. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny, the second part, so to recharge, I have to remember to recharge. I just had a baby, so it's becoming, thank you, thank you. It's becoming more difficult to, you know, you have to like really inject the time. So I'm taking vacation, you know, I really don't care. Anywhere where there's nature, a bed, and like a place to walk around, well, I'll be able to recharge. But you mentioned the business chops part. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, so it's, being a CEO has been a really interesting journey for me. And I think one consistent lesson uh, is that I regret when I don't follow my gut, which is I alluded in the beginning to how important that tagline was and still is to me because you really do. I believe that you have it in you to be successful and you already know. And it's usually the layers you put to cover that. Sure. And some of those layers go way back. (laughs) Um, And I just had to learn that removing those was actually my best, uh, my best move. Of course, advice from others that have done it before is important, but you kind of know when you really tap in and know what to do, or when you really tap in, you know what to do. Um, And a lot of times I took a risk almost 
every day I take a risk where people say, I don't know, that's a good idea. Yeah, it, well, it doesn't quite make sense. You're going to sell like this weird fermented tea product oh, at well, that, yeah. a farmer's market. Uh, You're going to make these like nobody, vegetal flavors out yeah. of these things that nobody wants to eat anyway. Nobody thought that You're was gonna a good You're going to put idea. it in these like weird small glasses that like make it really difficult to scale up your production. Yes. You're going to like... You know, like all along the chain, you're like, well, we did this for this reason. And, you know, people, I feel like that kind of spirit, that authenticity, it somehow makes its way like across the shelf to you Good. like as a consumer. That is really cool. Because how do you like articulate that? You know, that makes me really happy. So good to hear. And the future of, I feel like the future of beverage is, is looking bright. We have the coffee and the chocolate to look mm-hmm. forward to. Um, where else should people be kind of looking to you guys to, you know, stay in touch, to taste stuff, to kind of um, come visit the factory? Is that going to be an option in the future? I've, you know, I mean, from a mass level, we, it's, it's just an impossible thing to arrange. I mean, when you start having a brewery where people can actually visit, it's a whole business in and of itself. Yeah. You got to create like infrastructure around that. It's also a whole different kind of permit in LA, mm-hmm. which we don't have. So I can take certain special guests, um, through as my people, but unfortunately I can't invite it to the public just yet. Our next brewery, I think after that, I'll make sure I have the time. There'll be like a tap to, room up front. Oh, for sure. That would be really, really cool. Um, where can you find health aid? I mean, right now I mentioned 42 states, New York and uh, New York and, um, California are two biggest states. We'll be doing a lot of activities here. Um, did you know last month we sampled 30,000 people? Wow. Um, so that's a really big deal for a small company to figure out, you know, um, 30,000 people to try our product in a month. Um, so we'll be doing a lot of marketing events this summer. You'll see us around New York. Brooklyn's a big hotspot for us. Um, obviously, our website, uh, healthaid.com. But actually, I've got a new project coming on in the next 12 months that I'm excited to announce. And I think as we continue our relationship, uh, I'll make sure I alert you when it opens up. It's nowhere close to opening. but Stay tuned. <laughs> um, it's going to be at followyourgut.com. Um, but the, the concept is I'm going to try to highlight other companies that are making real food. Um, because I do believe it's something that if a consumer wants to have, it is going to go away if we don't fight for it, uh, because it's just become too easy to manufacture. I mean, to compromise quality out there. Um, so I believe there's a consumer out there that demands this. And so the companies have to fight for it. And I just want to make sure we're like aligned and, you know, kind of talking to each other and making sure we're having these conversations together, even if they're completely separate industries. Um, you know, and then also it might help a consumer when they're at, you know, Whole Foods or wherever they shop and they see five different types of X, Y, Z. How do I whatever. make a choice? How what do you make I? a choice? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, you already know, okay, I'm only going to pick organic. Fine. Um, but then which brand is the one that's doing it the way I imagine in my head they are. Exactly. So very so similar, very similar, I think to our work here, kind of creating a platform to, amplify voices and tell stories. That's yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for recognizing that, you know, health aid is that. Diana, thank you so much. Yeah. It's great welcome. to have you in the studio. Um, I am excited. I'm still sitting in front of a flight of kombuchas that we'll be enjoying for the rest of the day. You guys can, of course, uh, in 42 states in the U.S., find yeah. kombucha wherever fine beverages are sold. Um, try the beet. That's one of my faves. Try the power greens if you want something a little different. And, um, yeah, drink up, right? Drink up. (laughs) That's what I say. 
Um, follow your gut. Follow your gut. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We are, of course, a member-supported nonprofit radio station. If you like what you hear, please consider visiting the website, www.heritageradionetwork.org. Not only will you find 32 amazing weekly shows covering the world of food, beverage, and agriculture, you'll see a big beating heart in that top right corner. Click it and make a donation today. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned in. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Oh,